Just because a religious act is performed doesn't mean it is approved by God. Many people, out of their personal assessment of what's good and acceptable to them, believe it is what God wants from them. Such is not always the case. God informs us of his desires of what he wants in a relationship with him through scripture. Hi, I'm Femi Osibin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning in to today's sermon, Religiously Relating to God, taken from Zechariah 7, where Zechariah examines the religious practices of the Jews who are trying to restore their relationship with God after the exile is over. The aim of this sermon is to present a context to where we analyze our religious practices and the impact they have on our relationship with God and seeing if those practices are rooted in God's word or in the traditions and minds of man. When one thinks of religion, a good context to put it on is the concept of a relationship. Our relationship to God is demonstrated through our religious practices because religion is just a way of doing things. And so what determines if our religion is proper, if our relationship with God is right, is if we are doing things according to his will, his desires. And why that's important is because there's a lot of times people place context of relationships with themselves and others with God and them and they have a faulty rubric of evaluating that relationship and if that relationship is not evaluated properly then what happens is a breakdown and a dissolvement of such relationship and that doesn't always mean that the person is our understanding that the relationship is gone In some marriages, there's problems that one spouse feels the other doesn't. And the person that doesn't feel that there's an issue, they'll go along and they'll be doing things as if everything was okay because they haven't checked in with their spouse in an appropriate way to evaluate if they are at the place where they thought they were. In religion today, we see that demonstrated in a myriad of ways. We see that there's a lot of people who relate to God on the way they want to. And in their relating to God on their own terms, they think that they're at a place that they may or may not be with God. And the only way to evaluate that is through God's word. Now, we're in Zechariah. We're at the seventh chapter of the book. And what's we have come upon is about the halfway point of the rebuilding of this temple. We saw that uh, in the second year of Darius that God had told them through the prophet Isaiah, Haggai, and even Ezra that you guys need to go rebuild this temple. In about Ezra, I want to say, Ezra 5, 6, 7, it is said that in the sixth year of Darius, the temple is rebuilt. And right here we have Zechariah 7, And I'm going to read the chapter in its entirety. But Zechariah 7 says they're in the fourth year of King Darius, meaning they're halfway through rebuilding this temple. This temple is where the relationship with God is interacted with 
in a physical sense. They've come out of exile, and now God says, rebuild this place where you can worship me. And in this place where you can worship me, you will receive all the blessings that I want to give you. And this temple is a sign that I have brought you back to the place to where our relationship is restored. Because I wiped this out because you rebelled against me and did not follow me. And as a sign of my punishment, Babylon came, destroyed the temple. And now it's being rebuilt. Children of God, they have some questions regarding this relationship that they're reestablishing with God. Zechariah 7, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, even in Chislor, when they had sent unto the house of God Sherezar and Regmelech and their men to pray before the Lord and to speak unto the priests which were in the house of the Lord of the host and of the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month, separating myself as I have done so many years? Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh month, even though seventy years did ye at all fast unto me or even to me? And when ye did eat and when you did drink, did ye not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Should ye not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity and the cities thereof round about her when man inhabited the south and the plain? And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment and show mercy and compassion every man to his brother and oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears and that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it is come to pass that as he cried and they would not hear, so they cried and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with the whirlwind among all the nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them that no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. So here we are, God's children, in the middle of rebuilding this temple. They say, God, we want to know if we need to continue with the fast that we have been doing for you. Now it should be known that in the law, God did not prescribe no fast. God prescribed feasts, and you can read about them in Leviticus 23, and there's other passages in Deuteronomy that tells them of the religious uh, rites that they were to perform on a yearly basis. There was no fast in them. 
The reason why the people fasted was because their sins and they were trying to entreat God to respond to them, to look on their condition and to have pity on them and turn their situation and circumstance around. So they fasted. It's the opposite of why Jesus says fast. You see, when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when you fast, put oil on your heads. Anoint yourself so nobody knows. Why? Because you're not doing it to show people, but you're doing it to show God that you're really trusting in him. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. So I'm fasting and I'm cutting myself short of sustenance so I could be sustained by my relationship with God. But what the people of Israel had done is when they were sent into exile and events started happening and they started fasting so God could respond to them. So that God would look down upon his people and have some kind of pity, some kind of mercy on their situation and change it. But God said, I never told you to fast. And if you read the law, what God really was trying to tell them was how they could be blessed. So you do my word. I will bless you. The rains will come. Your fields will produce. Your animals, they would, would, would have abundance of cattle, of stock. Your barns would be full. And you would not miss out on any of the blessings that I gave you. But what did you do? You went after these other gods. You did not show your brothers, your sisters love. You lived your lives in an evil way that that caused me to look down upon my people's conditions and to change it and to curse them because they weren't respecting the relationship that we had. A relationship that was established by the law. Mount Sinai, when Moses goes up to get these Ten Commandments, and God tells him the stipulations, this is how you are to be my people. And no sooner had God finished giving Moses commandment number 10, did Moses hear what sounded like an army in the camp. And these people are partying. They have made two golden calves, causing Moses, out of frustration, to throw those tablets down. And God's wrath to be enacted upon the people. And what happens? God has mercy. He tells Moses, come on, I'll make two more tablets. And he does. He restores relationship with his people. And just like in the days of Moses, we have in the days of Zechariah, the days of Joshua, the days of Zerubbabel, God saying, I'm going to restore relationship with my people. And what I want them to do is to obey my law. You've been doing things the way you want. And I punished you for that. And now you're coming at me with the question of, do you still want me to do something I never asked you to do? And that's a question that we see all around the religious world. A lot of people are doing things for God that he never asked. And it's causing the relationship that they have between God to be severed. 
So you'll go to a denominational church and you'll see a bunch of practices that are unbiblical. And they're saying, God, do you want me to still continue to do something you never asked for? And what's God's response? I've told the former prophets. I've sent my word. All I want you to do is listen to that. But you didn't. And so you were punished. And in your punishment, when I was trying to call out to you and tell you that you were off bases and that you were going down the wrong path, you didn't listen. And what happened? Because you didn't listen, you started getting cursed. And as you started getting cursed, you started to not receive the blessings I wanted, but to receive the bad which led to the exile. And the worst part of it was when you called to me, I did not hear you. Because you didn't hear when I called to you. And we see that all throughout this world. And we see that all throughout a bunch of people's lives. To where their life is in disarray. Not because God is not there, present in this world but because the relationship that they think that they have established with God is not on godly terms. They haven't been doing what he wants. When God called them, they didn't respond, and now they call to God, and he doesn't respond. And a couple things I would like us to think through is, in returns of this relationship with God, we know it's rooted in our religion. And the practices that we have that are given to God that determine if we're doing what he wants. It's not determined by tradition. It's determined by what God wants. And we as men, we make bad evaluators of what God likes. Why? Because a lot of times what we're going to say God likes is the things that we like. So what we're going to say that God likes is God likes singing, but he wants somebody who has a golden voice. Well, that might not be the case because what God is looking at is the heart. And what God is not concerned about is the sound to people but the sound that is demonstrated through the obedience of a heart that sings in sincerity to God, recognizing that this is part of my worship to him. You see, what a lot of people would say is, if it doesn't sound good to us, how can God like it? Well, that's for God to determine. And so as we think about not just the singing, but other things that we do religiously, we have to make sure that it's not just based upon our evaluation. It's rooted in the word of God. Because what we could do is put ourselves in the place of God. And we could be wrongly assessing what God wants. And we would be just like the Israelites saying, 
What about the fast that we did? What about these things that we thought we were doing for you, God? Do you still want us to do them? And God's saying, I never asked you to do that. And then if you take that from a congregation, a church, and put that into your personal lives, what are we doing there? You see, there's a lot of practices that people do that appear religious. There's a lot of things that we do in our lives that appear to have some piety to them, like fasting, to where it means nothing before God. But before man, it looks religious. So I walk around and I have my Bible with me. I have a cross on my necklace. I have a Bible in the back of my car, but I won't open it. I'll say I go to church just because it sounds good, because that's what people think I'm supposed to do. But I won't practice what God asked me to practice. And then so these pious looking deeds, while on the outside, on the appearance and for even our own assessments, they think they're establishing relationship with God when in fact they're not. And the sad part is sometimes that turns into church attendance. I go to church on Sunday and it means nothing to God because your heart's not there. And how do you know if your heart's in it? Because how are you outside of the building? You see, what God wants is genuine relationship. He doesn't want things that just look like you're relating to him. He wants us to really be his people. And as you consider that God really wants us to have a genuine relationship that's not just based upon some empty deeds, it should cause a people, a group, a congregation, a church, a person to consider Who is this religion for? Is it for me to look good? If you was to ask the children of Israel, is it for you just to say that you have a relationship with God? Or is it really for you to build one on a personal level with God? And then when you start to build a relationship with God on a personal level, it causes you to realign your sources of information on that relationship. You see, the people, they were going back to the priest. Should we still give these fasts to God? What does God do? He answers through Zechariah. But what does Zechariah say? I sent the former prophets. I gave you my law. Meaning, You guys had all the information you needed. You didn't need to go to the prophet. You didn't need to go to the priest. And if we were to bring that into today's terms, you have the word of God. You do not need somebody to come tell you what God wants for you. Go to his word because it's going to be the same. Those priests and those prophets that the Israelites are going to in about 520 uh, B.C. cannot tell you anything different than what the law said that was given in the days of Moses. You worship God like this. It's not through your fast. 
It's not through your evil ways trying to manipulate people and showing some fake sign of piety, some fake uh, relationship. It's really genuinely doing what God wants by upholding the law. And that's also demonstrated with how you interact with people, especially God's people. And that's overlooked when we go to the wrong source for our information about our relationship with God. Because what you will have is that some people will tell you if you make sure that your good outweighs your bad, you're okay. Some people will tell you you'll be okay if you just give. Some people will tell you is it doesn't matter because God loves us all. And all of these people are going on their own their own intuitions, their own desires, their own feelings when God told us what the case is. He sent his son. And his son left, and he left the spirit, and the spirit informed the apostles and the writers of the New Testament to what was necessary for us to maintain relationship with God. It's based upon our faith. Our faith is demonstrated on how we interact with each other, but also on how we rely on God through this life. We don't need nobody else to tell us we can read for ourselves. And when we get to that, that understanding that our religion, that our relationship with God can be answered through our search of scripture for ourselves, then we get to the point to where our religion becomes our own. We get to the point to where I'm not doing this for somebody else or because of somebody else. I'm doing this because I have really established and rooted myself in faith and I'm trying to be who God is calling all men to be. So I sought him for myself. So I'm doing this for God. Not for nobody else. You know, a a lot of people at some point in their lives, their religion is only because it's an extension of their parents. Be that in the church, be that Muslim, be that Hindu, be that all type of things. A lot of people's religion starts off as an extension of somebody who raised them. And until that person gets rooted in faith. Now I'm speaking of proper religion in God. Until that person gets rooted in faith and learns scripture for themselves, they will never be who God wants them to be. But that's a process. And that's a choice that we all have to make. Because it's easy to go to church because my mom went to church. A lot of us did that until our 20s. And then if you look around the church, there's a big chasm in age groups from around 1921 to about 2835, gone. Why? Their religion wasn't for themselves. Their relationship with God was for somebody else. And as I look around this room, We've all surpassed that except for a few people. 
but we made the religion our own. We made a relationship with God something that's important to our lives, independent of what anybody else is doing. So that when God calls us to judgment, we can stand there on our own merits, knowing that it's not by our deeds, but it's by his grace and our faith that we will be saved. Despite the mistakes that we made in life, because we look beyond all of that to get to him. And while we utilize messages from preachers, we utilize influence from, from, from parents, from, from elders, from, from influential people in our lives who were religious themselves, we help that to grow our own faith so that our relationship with God was solid. And we utilize stories from the Bible to see how God worked through people in difficult and even in good times in their lives and what he was really trying to get them to. And it informs us and it helps us to make our relationship with God solid. Because if we don't ever get there, then we're just plain religious. And we're just fasting because we think that's what we're supposed to do. We're coming to church because it looks right. We give not anything that's going to cost us anything in the offering basket because we don't want to look like we didn't put anything in the basket. And our religion is not benefiting our lives. But we also recognize that when we get to the point to where we go to God's word on our own, he's answered all the questions that we're going to ask. Because his word remains when the prophets, when the priests, when those who led us to Christ transition on to the next phase of life. And whatever we're seeking from God He'll supply us an answer. And we don't necessarily have to go to anybody for it. We can go to his word because it's the same yesterday, <coughs> today, and tomorrow. And it will sustain us. And it will bring us into his eternal presence. Because that's the power of his word. That's the depth of relationship with God. His standard is the same for all men so we can have faith that what he has told a Paul, a Peter, a Zerubbabel, a Joshua, what he has sent through Jesus Christ is the same. That informs us on our relationship, on our religion, before him. And realizing that, realizing that, that God has spoken to us through his word. God has given us these great examples in life in which to, 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 to show us how to be. We realize that if we have neglected, negated all of that and we haven't listened, we really don't have a hope of our prayers being answered. We really don't have real assurance that when we communicate with God not that he won't hear us because we know he hears us but that he won't answer 
And that's even worse. Have you ever talked to somebody and they weren't listening to you? How does it make you feel? You don't like it, huh? Now just think if you was God and you made men and you gave them everything that they needed and you sent multiple messages saying the same thing through various forms and trying to get people to a better future and they didn't listen. And then things went bad and they started showing some fake signs of piety. They ran out of money, so I'm a fast. No, you just broke and you can't afford no food. Because that's part of the curses. If you don't follow me, your crops won't produce. Your land won't yield its fruit. You're not fasting. <laughs> you just don't have the resources. You think about ourselves now. We don't give right. We don't have no money. We say, I can't give because God hasn't blessed me. No. You haven't been given appropriately when God did bless you. So now you don't have. We think about now. I didn't listen to what God told me to do, and now I've gotten some trouble in life, and I've gotten in a situation I can't get out of. What can I do? How can I get out of this? Well, you're not going to listen to Scripture now. You weren't listening then. And until a person turns their heart towards God's, because that's one of the things that God says at the beginning of this book, turn to me and I'll turn to you. Until a person turns their heart to God, their heart, he won't turn to them. But if you turn your heart to God, he will turn to you. But that starts with you listening. Because he said everything he needed to. Go to his word. You can find what you need to respond appropriately to God in any situation. You know when you can't find it? When you have a stubborn heart? Has somebody ever told you the right thing to do and you couldn't do it because it was a source of where it came from? Somebody told you directions and you're like, they don't know what they're talking about. And so you go a different way and you find yourself lost. Why? Because you didn't trust the source. It's the same thing with our salvation. A lot of people don't trust the source because it calls for us something that's uncomfortable, which is we have to evade what we want. We have to divorce ourselves from our feelings so that we can take upon God's thoughts, God's mannerism, God's ways. We recognize that his ways are not our ways. And that if, if we were to do things the way that we want it, it would not align with what God wants. And that when we did do things the way we want it, it might have worked out for a while. But in the end, it led to more confusion and further away from God. Zechariah 7. It's a good chapter because in it, it centers us. 
before this temple is finished being built, a question comes. Do we still need to do these practices that God never prescribed, but we think we're right? And what God says is, no. When my place is finished being built, all I want you to do is what I told you to do when I first called you as a people. And we think about our lives. When God's finished working with us, because we're still a work in progress, the thing that's going to ensure that we are in heaven is not what we think, but what God says. The very things that he left written in his holy writ is what's going to guide us. And we don't need a person to tell us because the scripture has already been written by his spirit. And when we are living according to scripture, we see that there are some ways that we have to get rid of ourselves that we might have thought were right, but they're wrong. And we don't need a man to tell us. And when our relationship is really secured with God, we are assured that he hears us in all that we ask of him. And we're listening for him through scripture, through prayer, and through how he's guiding our lives. And we're assured that our faith will be sustained and that we'll be in heaven when we leave this earth. That's what it's all for, to be with him eternally. We overcome the stuff that distracts us. Ourselves being the biggest distraction. And so, I challenge us to look at our lives. Evaluate what it is that we're doing. And to see if our religion is based upon what we think is right or what God says is right. And to look at those times in our lives to where we don't feel God is answering us, even if that's right now. And say, are we listening to what God is telling us? Or are we doing our own thing? And get to a point to where our relationship with God is so solidified, so tight, that we don't need nobody to tell us what to do because we're relying on this word. I'm not sure where that leaves you. I was just hoping to spark some thoughts in your mind as you go throughout this week and as we look through Zechariah to get us to Analyze our lives, our relationship with God through God's standard and not our own. So that we can constantly be working to be the people that he called us to be in the midst of this crooked world. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon 
and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.